not everything needs to be done straight away and some things can wait till tomorrow. Yeah. That question, is it worth it? So welcome everyone to another episode of Finding Your Range podcast with me, Jeannie Debon, a movement therapist who specializes in hypermobility, EDS and chronic pain. Now today um, we're joined um, with a very special guest, um, Natalie Eyre, um, who is a cognitive behavioral therapist. And so we're gonna, um, I'm really excited to learn more about this therapy. Um, we're gonna be hearing from Natalie um, shortly. So I'm just going to read you her bio so you know a little bit about what she does. Um, so Natalie is uh, 32 and she's based in the UK. She has her own business called Natalie Louise Therapy and works as a cognitive behavioural therapist, specialising in seeing people with chronic pain and illness. So Natalie also has EDS um, and her symptoms started when she was age two but it took until 2011 to get the diagnosis when she was 22. So that's a long time, obviously, without um, diagnosis. She has struggled a lot with various symptoms throughout her life, but through a combination of Pilates, appropriate physio, and psychological support, she now feels like she is living the best life she can, even with how much pain and fatigue she has on a daily basis. She is an accredited member of the British Association for Behavioural and Co Cognitive Psychotherapies. Gosh, that's a mouthful. There we go. <laughs> and a member of the Association of Contextual Behavioural Sciences and both a personal and professional member of the HMSA. So, wow, great uh, uh, accreditations <laughs> there and qualifications. Uh, thank you, Natalie, and, and welcome. Thank you for Thanks joining for us. Thanks for having me. Hi. Uh, you're most welcome. We're, I'm looking forward to this because I know obviously um, a lot of my clients and a lot of people in our community really benefit from this type of therapy. Um, but yeah. there may be people out there who aren't really sure what it is and if it is useful for them. So yeah. um, that's what we're going to delve into today. Um, but before we get more into that, tell us a little bit about your own journey, your personal journey, because you said that you started your symptoms at the age of two. So what was going on? Yeah, so obviously that's too young for, for me to remember, but um, I had access to my medical records with my last GP surgery and it was really interesting because from two, sort of every, I don't know, six months to a year, there's sort of entries of my mum my taking me and saying there's something not quite right with her knees or um, I just think her joints aren't okay or she's crying a lot, we don't know what's wrong and it just keeps saying parental reassurance given nothing, nothing wrong found. And sort of being a child, I struggled a lot with um, pain, but in really random places. So nobody sort of put them together. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of pain in my feet. I've got quite sort of high arches that had fallen. I used to wake up in the middle of the night with growing pains, which yeah. <laughs> weren't growing pains. Um, a lot of pain in my jaw. Um, and things like a diagnosis of asthma, various allergies, um, sort of feeling sick a lot of the time. In a particular memory of being at the dentist and having some teeth taken out because there was sort of too many teeth for the size of my jaw. Mm -hmm. And the dentist sort of claimed they'd never heard a child scream so much and sort of implied I was a bit of a drama queen, but I had some fillings done recently and I now know that I don't respond well to local anaesthetics. So yes. there's 
there was all that going on, but obviously no one ever put them together because yeah. um, it does seem quite random. Yes. And then obviously you hit teenage years, you get all those hormones. I went to university with sort of a lot of pain, really started struggling with fatigue um, and then got diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome at university. Again, that sense of, we can't find anything wrong with you, so this is, this is the label. Um, and at the time I was a dancer, so I've danced ever since I could walk in at uni and did sort of competitively Latin and ballroom dancing and had a lot of a lot of pain from that but not not while I was dancing but sort of after and mm-hmm. when I finished uni I saw a physio who said it's just wear and tear stop dancing for six months come back and we'll see how you're getting on and that was sort of the, the beginning of everything going wrong then so sort of on reflection my dancing must have been keeping me quite strong but then I started dislocating so since then sort of dislocations of the shoulders the wrists the knees hips um, ankles the jaw um got sort of diagnosed with sacroiliac joint dysfunction um postural hypertension and sort of everything was going on so I googled it I sort of came across um the HMS website and went to the GP said I don't I don't think this is right I think I've got this and he said well I've never heard of it but it seems likely so referred me to rheumatology and got a diagnosis sort of there and then really wow um, yeah gosh so a lot going on that was yeah. a lot yeah and it's interesting isn't it because all the symptoms you describe as growing up they're all the ones now that you're like yeah yeah definitely they're all we all know now that those yeah. are linked well I say we all know now obviously we don't because there are still doctors out there who've never heard of it but um yeah wow so and it's interesting that your dancing was actually keeping you together keeping the muscle tone yeah and when I stopped I sort of stopped for about five years I think it was in the end and that was sort of the worst I'd ever been you know I struggled to sort of move my arms above 90 degrees because my shoulders were dislocating I couldn't drive, I couldn't cook, I couldn't, I was off work for months on end and when I was sort of, I think we're going on to a bit later about what helped but once things started changing and, and I went back to dancing the difference was incredible sort of my strength increased, my happiness increased and mm. my number of dislocations went down and then that even more so once I joined the Zebra Club so yeah. it's you know when people didn't know what it was their advice was rest more and actually now we know what it is it's saying rest less um, less yeah activity yeah Absolutely. yeah it's made the world wow. a difference yeah. so and you, you touched on university obviously it was quite a struggle then I guess mm. you were suffering with fatigue um, yeah yeah you, I guess you had no idea why you were suffering with fatigue because no no and I think that's really hard, isn't it? I think a lot of people will relate to that sort of fear, that constant worry, like what, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Why am I going to the doctors and they're saying nothing's wrong when I feel like this? Mm, and yeah. I don't think my parents know, but I fell asleep pretty much in every lecture that I ever went to at university. I wow. just struggled so much. And I it was a lot of self-studying as well. So having to sit for sort of hours in the library and concentrate enough with all the brain fog that you get with it yeah um, and I think 
with the sort of IBS symptoms as well, they were quite distressing. I really sort of hated feeling sick, so I wouldn't go to sleep for ages because I'd be sort of anxious about it. So that wasn't helping with the fatigue either. Yeah. And because dancing felt so good and I really enjoyed it, I sort of threw myself into it, but I was doing it maybe three or four evenings a week. We were competing every other weekend. We were traveling around the country doing it. Um, I was team captain for a year. Oh, wow. So trying to juggle everything whilst battling with this thing that I just didn't know what it was. was yeah. yeah, it was really tough. And I got good grades, but I was disappointed that I didn't get better because I was quite a perfectionist and knew yeah. I could have done better, but really sort of struggled. Yes. Yeah. And, I did two postgraduate courses after my degree when I knew about the EDS um, and I had disabled students allowance sort of an assessment in things and I couldn't believe the difference it made so I had a proper ergonomic setup I had a recorder for lectures so I could listen back if I was too tired um, and so I didn't need to make notes in the session sort of allowance for taxi travel so I didn't have to drive or get the mm -hmm. bus and actually I did really well then at uni because I did have the resources, yeah. I had voice recognition software for my essays, so I didn't put extra strain on my joints and yeah, that really, really made a difference. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a really good point and useful for anyone else listening who's yes, going to university definitely. or worried about going to university. So, you know, these sorts of adaptations can be made then. And yeah, they do make a, yeah, yeah, and they make a huge difference by the sounds of it. Definitely. Oh, that's, yeah, oh, that's a really good point. And even the pressure off for things like um, once they know that you've got something like that, you can have extensions on your coursework. You know, if you have a, a flare up quite close to the handing date, then you can yeah. extend it. Or I had longer in exams so I could stand up and stretch instead of having to sit there for two hours mm. at a time. Yes. And that helps. Yeah. 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 And so what did you, did you study psychology at university? What did you study? Yeah, yeah. so it was psychology is the degree. And then to be a cognitive behavioural therapist, you have to do a postgraduate qualification. But yeah. in between those, I did a qualification in sort of low intensity cognitive behavioural therapy, which okay. was like a stepping stone then to the yeah. whole CBT. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. what drew, drew you to this field? Is, do you think it was your, you know, your own experiences that you wanted to help other people what, what drew you here yeah I'd say that definitely has been the reason why I do what I do now sort of the specialism that I've gone into um I've always wanted to I've always been interested in sort of the human mind and human behavior even as a kid so sort of I would buy books on it and, and watch things on it but to be honest I really wanted to be a forensic psychologist so uh -huh. I was sort of really, really interested at the time. And up until my last year of uni, that was what I was adamant I was going to do. But I did a course, like an evening course in my final year of uni on therapy. And I just thought, this is amazing. Like this can make such a difference. And decided instead to study sort of mental health and, and therapy. So I went down that route. And when I first sort of qualified with the, the low intensity, CBT. I actually specialised in learning disabilities so mm -hmm. my sister's got Down syndrome and I realised quite quickly in the NHS that there wasn't really any resources in the mental health services so we sort of did this big project nationally and um, that we took part in to, to increase access. In, 
I think it was about two years after I'd qualified, I did a pain management course for myself. And that was that mm-hmm. turning point where I thought, hang on, this is amazing. Like, how did we not know that therapy can be this helpful for people? Yes. Um, and ever since then, I've sort of done extra training in something called acceptance and commitment therapy, done another two sort of certificates in treating people with long-term health conditions. And I feel like if I hadn't have done that pain management course, I might never have actually ended up here, but it is, yeah. I find it really helpful as well for my clients that know that I've got a chronic pain condition too, because I feel like it's a barrier that's already overcome. They don't need to convince me that they're unwell because I know, I I get it. I know they're in pain, even if maybe they haven't got an explanation for it. Um, Yeah. And I've been there and I've been through it and I know how to, is to apply this stuff, but that actually you can apply it and it can help. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, I think that's really powerful when you work with someone who's actually been in your shoes. Yeah. It makes such a difference to people. Um, yeah. And especially, you know, dealing with chronic illness and chronic pain. You mm-hmm. know, people, I think, you know, people come to see you and they look fine, right? They mm-hmm. look well, they look, it's that same, you know, there can't be anything wrong with you because you look so healthy, you know? Yeah. But, but you understand that it doesn't work like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, and how hard just that aspect is, trying to live every day when you are in that much pain and you look yeah. really well. Well, yeah. people have ex- you have expectations of yourself, I guess, and people have expectations yeah. of you, and that's really hard. Yeah. So um, a lot of people might not know, um, what, what exactly is cognitive behavioural therapy? What, what would we expect that to be? So I always start off with telling clients, it's not like you see on the TV. So it's not somebody lying on their couch telling me all their problems, telling me their dreams to analyse it. It's nothing like that. It's a real um, collaborative teamwork type of therapy, a very much a doing therapy. Yes. So, The essence is the way that we think influences the way that we feel both emotionally and physically and that then impacts on how we behave and and what we do Mm -hmm. but then also what we do has an impact on how we think and how we feel so we look for each person what is your own sort of cycle going on for that what thoughts are influencing your behavior what are you doing that's maybe helpful what are you doing that's maybe not so helpful and the core of treatment is learning coping strategies, learning sort of techniques, new skills to, to do things differently. So it could be anything from problem solving to assertive communication to planning activities to help sort of depression symptoms improve or challenging negative thinking if that's getting in the way there's literally so many tools that we can use and yes be sort of applicable for each person yeah and it's very much like physio for your mind in the sense that it's not going to be enough just turning up and and hearing me explain a technique and maybe giving it a going session actually yeah. it needs to be practiced in yes. between sessions and eventually it just becomes a way of life and of a way of managing your symptoms and hopefully improving depression yeah. anxiety yeah things and, like that and so with that in mind what if someone comes to see you with eds say or mm-hmm. and chronic pain what sort of um in your experience what sort of barriers or 
thought processes maybe does someone with eds have you come across is it fear of movement is it yeah fear of injury all, all that sort of thing is it the very so the first thing that i've noticed with pretty much any client with chronic pain whether it's eds or fibromyalgia or something like that is a very a lack of understanding of what pain is so i feel like when you go to the doctor nobody sits down and explains to you this is why you feel pain so quite rightly people are very afraid of their pain if they're afraid that hearing a click always means that damage is being done or mm -hmm. that when their back's aching if they walk and it aches even more that the damage in their spine then understandably that's going to be a real barrier to to carrying on with activity because yes. people are afraid so actually the one of the things that I adapt CBT sort of EDS and pain is explaining what it is so sort of the science behind it why we feel it um trying to reduce some of that fear around it yeah in with with EDS and, and chronic pain conditions we find that a lot of people maybe withdraw from their family and friends because they don't feel up to to going out for dinner or for drinks um they might not be able to work or do the hobbies they used to have mm -hmm. so actually we look in CBT what what are the thoughts that are stopping you from from doing those things and it might be I'm too tired I'm going to feel too bad the next day um my friends won't understand that I'm having a bad day today or they won't want me there if I'm miserable there's sort of some very typical mm -hmm. thoughts that people come with when yeah. we look at how do we help them not get in the way of you going to do those things yeah. wow. oh wow that's really interesting yeah and those yeah those as you say very common you know I can de I definitely hear very similar things as well yeah um, from my clients and of course the mind and the body are um <laughs> so you're, you're, you know the movement therapy I do is very much linked to the kind of work that you do and vice versa yes. because yeah. you can't separate them can you not you at can't all. separate them um and you mentioned when you were speaking earlier that you also did something called acceptance and commitment therapy. Is that yes. right? Commitment yeah. Therapy. So, um, so what's that? And how is that different from cognitive behavioural therapy? So it's referred to as like the third wave of CBT. So like we started off with just behavioural therapy sort of a long time ago and it developed yeah. into CBT. And then now sort of the third wave, we've got mindfulness-based CBT um, yes. and then sort of compassion-focused therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. And where, personally for me, I felt we'd got to sort of a stuck point with CBT for pain was that CBT is very much about challenging negative thoughts. So if you said you had a, a thought about, um, oh, my friends won't enjoy themselves because I'll be miserable if I go, then we'd sit down and we'd say, oh, well, what's the evidence you've got that that could be true? Are you mind reading? You know, what's the evidence that that might not be true? And we sort of challenge it and challenge it till we get a, a more realistic and, and helpful thought. But if the thought getting in your way is, I'm just in so much pain, I don't know how I'll cope. Mm. I felt like, well, how can you challenge that? Because this person is in pain. They do feel like they can't cope. So mm. Acceptance and commitment therapy takes a very different stance to that. So it's saying instead of challenging those thoughts, we know that these thoughts aren't going anywhere. You know, we can't get rid of thoughts however much we'd like to and however much we try to, mm -hmm. but we can choose to either listen to them and they get in the way and we not do the things we want to do. 
or we can say, well, you know, if you need to brain, carry on in the background, tell me whatever you want, but I'm going to go and do this thing anyway, that's really important to me. And maybe I'll enjoy it when I go. So it's about sort of different techniques. So mm. thoughts aren't getting in the way. We're not getting into an argument with them. We're saying, yes, you're in pain and this is really hard to manage. But we have this choice of sort of staying at home and being in pain or being able to go out and, and be in pain. And if it's that going out for three hours will cause a flare up, can you go out for one hour or she just, yeah. you know, could they come around to you instead if it's a flare up day? So it's, it's a really lovely type of therapy and very much focused on values. So what mm. type of person do you want to be? What kind of life do you want to live? What kind of mother, father, son, daughter, partner, friend, employee do you want to be? And once we can figure that out, how can we then help you live by that? And it's, it's really nice. And we do a lot of sort of mindful stuff as well. Not, not mindful meditations as such, but mindful movement and mindful, you know, if you're yes. in the garden drinking a cup of tea, can you actually be in the garden drinking a cup of tea rather than just in your head thinking, oh, these are all the things I've got to do today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very nice. And if you found this um, effective for people with EDS? Oh, it's well. been a game changer, yeah. Oh. So that's the thing that I got taught in my pain management group that made me then decide this is the path. I wanted to go down I found it much more helpful um, with people with chronic pain and the research is showing that it is one of the most effective therapies for it yeah yeah yeah. yeah I mean people often need so many you know different sort of things in their toolbox don't they yes it's never I doubt there's never just one thing generally that fixes everything you need a little no. bit of different mm-hmm. things that are going to help support um so if I was a new client coming to see you for the first time, what, what should I expect? What's going to happen in our first session? So in the first session, it would be very much um, more like an assessment. So I guess if you were to go and see a physio, you'd do, they'd sort of check all of your body and make sure how you moved and sort yeah. of what was the issue. And it's really similar. So we'd ask, you know, what's brought you to the sessions? I'd ask a yeah. lot about physical health, um, emotionally, how somebody's feeling, and really importantly, the impact that that's had on their life. So we'd look at, I'd ask things like, um, are you still seeing family and friends? Is your relationship as strong as it used to be? Are you doing your hobbies? Are you able to work? Um, able to do things around the house? Um, go out with your friends? And so just building up a picture of what this person's life is like at the moment. Yeah. And then we talk a little bit about where you want to be. So not not really specific in the first session, but just a, a, an idea of what do you want to get from mm-hmm. our sessions together. And yes. then I'd sort of go away and, and make a bit of a treatment plan. Sort of think about what the needs are, what the goals are. And then the sessions will be slightly different after the first one. So what we tend to do is we start off with a, a review of the week, seeing how people have been. We then review the tasks that they've done for the week before. So what went well? What do you feel like you've learned from it? What were the barriers or obstacles? And then we learn a new technique in that session. Have a go at practicing it. Set homework. I hate the word homework. <laughs> kind of like that. Um, for the next week. And then we'd sort of take it from there. But 
everyone's treatment plan is really different um yeah. sort of really hard to say but just a general overview to expect yes. if someone came would be to understand about pain like scientifically yeah. what it is and why we feel it um we'd look at values from the act model so what's really important to you um and we do a lot of monitoring to start with so sort of monitoring the activities mood levels pain levels that sort of thing and that will then show us where we can make changes and it might be that we look at breaking activities down learning how to pace (laughs) learning how to pace well not the sort of pacing which you know you see somebody and they just go I'll just pace. You'll be fine. Pace your activities. Like, what does that mean? So we'd really look at what that means for that particular person. Yeah. Um, And then we'd look more into the thoughts work, the emotions work, um, and then anything else, really. Anything like, um, I'll ask a little bit about, sort of, are you doing your physio exercises? Are you taking medication as you're meant to, eating as you're meant to? Because a lot of the time, it's really not easy to do all of these things and our thoughts get in the way a lot so we can Mm. integrate all of that into a treatment plan even though it's not necessarily doesn't sound psychological yes the way that we feel and think will influence your ability to follow the physical advice yeah yeah Yeah. it's interesting in your assessment stage when you ask all those questions about family and you know work and have you found that you know obviously pain is a huge topic isn't it and we're we're not we're not discussing pain pain as such today but have you found that someone's pain is it can be influenced quite a lot by other factors so like the biopsychosocial aspect so it's not always just it can be impacted can't it by stress by relationships by you're not happy at work it's a yeah. very complex thing that responds to lots of different stimuli, doesn't it? To so many things, you know, the way that we feel physically impacts how we relate to other people, how we go about our day-to-day living. But like you say, our day-to-day living then impacts how we feel with our yeah. pain. And it's just, it's impacted yeah. by so many things, unless you break that down and look at everything. Yes. When you learn those new skills and you can say, well, we've applied it to this, but this is how it would work to this area and this area and this area. So we look at the person as a whole. It's not just I've come to visit you for my knee. It's come for you to look at all of me. Yeah. 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 No, very good. And so you would say that um, obviously it's valuable for our chronic pain sufferers. What changes could they expect to experience? Or hopefully a reduction in their pain or certainly how to skills how to manage their pain um, yeah what else could they look forward to i think that it's it's very individual to the person i guess yeah. sounds yeah. a bit of a cop out but um, well, no but it is isn't it because yeah i think pain is so individual to each yeah. person because we're all going to be having different experiences we will all respond to the world in different ways and how i mm. interpret things can be the positive, negative, neutral, and that's going to impact my sensitivity to pain. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. So, yeah. so I think it's very, very individual. You can't have a everyone does this and that's it. it doesn't yeah. work like that. I think overall, sort of thinking about because we're doing it for for years now, and just yeah. generally, um, we see an improvement in 
enjoyment of life so sort of quality of life improvement yeah. you know we've gone yes. from life being controlled by pain to somebody saying right I want to do this I'm in pain I know that I am but I'm going to do it anyway and actually that was so much more enjoyable than not doing it yes. um, increasing confidence in doing things that maybe they were afraid to do before because of pain and improvement in relationships so relationships with partners family friends um colleagues healthcare professionals you know a really important part of cbt is looking at communication so when we're in pain we expect people to almost be mind readers sometimes and know that we're in pain or know that we're struggling and yeah, people yeah. don't always especially when people with eds look so well a lot of the time yes. um, so we look at communicating in a more healthy way and saying you know it's always anxiety provoking going to the doctors or the rheumatologist and there's been all these times you've not been believed in the past which make it even harder so how can we make sure when you go to this one you feel like you've left getting what you need from that appointment so mm. hopefully people will see a change in in mm. that um and just a change in their general it's quite hard to describe but in act one of the main things we look at when it comes to pain is the struggle that we have with the pain so we see a lot of the time people battle to get rid of it so they're desperate for a life free of pain so they're looking up on the internet everything that they can to make it go away or they're doing everything they can in the day to not have as much pain but actually that's not really living that's just being ruled by the pain so act looks it how can we use all the energy that you've put into it when unfortunately we know it's never going to be pain-free for forever how can we use that energy into something that you're going to really enjoy that's going to make your life feel meaningful and fulfilled and, and rich so it's yes. about hopefully that change in going from struggling with it to to making a little bit more room for it sort of allowing it to be there mm. instead of getting in the way yes know? and um because I think people get very focused on it, don't they? Yeah. The brain can become very attuned to the pain. Mm -hmm. And so it dominates your every waking thought. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of people. And so I guess you're kind of trying to break that habit. So um, get that skill of unhooking from the brain, sort yes. of telling you to focus on it all the time. Yes. It's protective. You know, your brain doesn't want you to be in pain. So it's reminding you it's there to try and do something about it. But when we've got a condition where, there's only so much we can do and we've got everything in place to make it as good as it can be then we need to say right now we need to unhook from those thoughts we need to listen yeah. to the important ones but unhook from the ones that maybe are getting in the way yeah yeah, yeah. oh those are fantastic um you know benefits and things that you know are going to be so valuable to people so that's oh awesome. yeah i hope so yeah and then coming back to your journey, you mm. you mentioned obviously that you you do Pilates and physio mm -hmm. and psychological support. Um, what aspect in particular is could you you know tell our listeners about that's been particularly helpful for you? Because um, you obviously work now, don't you? You're, you've got your own business. You're yes. managing. It's yeah. so it's it's a really positive story. So yeah, what could we say to help our listeners? So I guess the overarching thing for, for Pilates, physio and the psychological support is making sure that it's adapted to pain. So yeah. I've had 
years and years of physio. I've done Pilates since I got diagnosed in 2011. But when it's not been sort of tailored to pain and to EDS, then it's not really gone well at all. Mm-hmm. But when it's been tailored, then it's been fantastic. So sort of for physio, I think I went to Stanmore for, for a lot of physio because they're one of the specialist centres. And I couldn't yes. believe the change that happened because of it. You know, I got sort of movement back in my arms, my knees got better, my wrists got better. Um, and with the Pilates, that helped to an extent. But until I found the Zebra Club, actually, that's just been an absolute game changer so that ability to the proprioception awareness I guess so I know we've had some sort of private sessions as well I've been working on where do my shoulders sit so now when I'm picking up the kettle or playing tug of war with the dog I know where my shoulders should be and actually that's reduced the number of dislocations significantly because of it Um, and with the psychological support, I think the biggest thing for me was, so at the time, I didn't appreciate what was told. I think no one had really explained to me that this was a lifelong condition that wasn't going to improve hugely. And the person said to me, well, you can sit on the sofa and dislocate your shoulders, or you could maybe try dancing and dislocate your shoulders. And I thought, well, but I don't want to dislocate my shoulders. <laughs> and actually, since then, like the more I thought about it, the more... I sort of became less afraid of my pain and I knew that yes I might dislocate it but actually I'm capable of relocating it myself I'm capable of knowing when it's just a subluxation and actually I can carry on with all my normal activities and started dancing again and I can't even put into words how wonderful that is you know I met my partner through dancing Um, I feel like a sense of joy like nothing else when I dance and it's made me realize that I'm stronger than I ever thought that I could be you know we do salsa dancing so we dance sort of into the night sometimes we finished at three in the morning and I'd wow. never thought that was possible and yet the next day I remember I went to um, a special sort of congress and we did three nights in a row and I didn't go to bed until like four in the morning on all three nights and then the three days after the congress I needed less painkillers than I did after a week at work and I just thought actually this is the best thing for me so mm. if Amazing. I hadn't have had that person say that to me if I hadn't have had that psychological support to say don't be afraid of your pain you know do what you're going to enjoy make a life worth yeah. living um yeah. sort of gave me a reason to be well and to push yeah. for it yeah that's brilliant yeah. I think that's really important is it don't be afraid of your pain yes how powerful yeah. is that yes so- so many of us are afraid like you say we're afraid we've done damage but yes hurt does not mean harm no especially no. With, a, with a chronic condition obviously if you you know walk into a door and bang your head yes then that's that's an acute incident yes that's your pain you know your brain is working properly telling you oh you've hurt your head but if six months down the line you know chronic pain is no longer serving yes. us but we become so afraid of it yeah and yeah it's huge it's huge so I think yeah that's such a powerful thing and it just goes to show doesn't it when you find something you really love and for you clearly it's it's your dancing you know it shines through how much joy that brings you um the pain kind of diminishes doesn't it your brain is so focused on doing something you love hasn't got time to think about no no 
and dancing till 4am, not even thinking about fatigue. Or, it's yeah, amazing. yeah. I just wouldn't have thought it was possible, but actually it's one of the best things. Amazing. Wow. I think as well, that sort of adjustment, that adjustment in your way of thinking, not just to the things that you enjoy, but the things that you don't enjoy. So one of the things that we focused on when I did the sort of psychological side of things was I'm very much a perfectionist. So I like things to be done just so and yeah. quite a high achiever. So I like to make sure that I've done everything. I've not, yes. so I've been let, I've not let myself down by not doing something. Yeah. In I think sometimes then, particularly if you've got chronic pain, we can get caught up in this spending all of our energy and time into doing the things that don't really matter as much at the end of the day. You know, it doesn't matter if the dishes aren't done that night. I can do them in the morning or it's OK to have someone come in to help do the cleaning if mm. that's, you know, with the new resources. And it's OK to just do little bits at a time. And I think that's been another massive shift because then I've been able to store up my energy and use it. On the things that I enjoy yeah and I use it with my clients a lot where I say ask is it worth it so if I'm going to go and hoover and know that then that'll put me out of action for a week because I've done my shoulder in that definitely wasn't worth having extra pain for whereas if I've gone out and seen my friends maybe that will put me out of action for a couple of days but that was so worth it so actually redistributing that time and energy into the things that truly matter yeah. yeah yeah that's a good one is it worth it yeah <laughs> that's a nice I like that yeah. um so just moving on what's um obviously growing up with conditions like that I mean I as well was called a hypochondriac for most of my life um, yeah. and I know lots of people out there are told that it's in your head or you're making it up or you're exaggerating in your opinion um how damaging is that for our mental health to be told that we're yeah. making things up or you know, exaggerating our symptoms. Yeah, I know. I've been there too, hypochondriac, drama queen. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's really hard. So there's a quote that I remember that's always stuck with me, but I can't remember who said it. <laughs> but it's, um, you can't get well if you have to keep proving that you're ill. And I think that when you've had all of those appointments where you've not been believed and you're having to to prove that you're poorly to prove that you're in pain and that you can't do these things you and then you're not believed even more you have to keep on proving and keep on proving and you can then not get past that barrier to get well because you're having to constantly fight to be heard that you're unwell in mm. I think it's damaging because it makes people lose trust in healthcare professionals so people don't go to their appointments or they don't get what they need from them um and that trust that sort of distrust then goes to anybody so it's even harder to access help when you're going in already not being sure that that person's going to believe you yeah, in yeah. I feel like that you know the it's all in your head sort of um phrase there's two sides to that for me so one of it is it's meant in a way of them saying we can't find anything wrong with you so it's psychological you've basically the pain's not real mm. and that's really really distressing for a lot of people and it's not true because it doesn't matter what the pain is even if we can't find a medical reason for it pain is still pain yeah. um, 
But the other side of it, from what I see a lot in my job, is that people have gone to see a physio or a nurse, for example, and people have just very badly tried to explain what pain is. They basically ended up saying, well, pain is in our head. But technically it is because it's to do with the signals from the brain. But in the same sense, you know, hunger is in our head and thirst is in our head and feeling cold is in our head but mm-hmm. it's not made up we feel all those things it's just the interaction so yeah, I feel yeah. like we have to undo that damage that people have done by mis explaining what it is to help people then really understand what it is mm-hmm. in particularly when people come to see someone like me they're afraid to because they think well maybe the doctor will then think oh I was right that it was in their head that it was psychological when actually that's that's not the reason for going to therapy um so it's really hard it creates such a lot of anxiety for people to then go to another appointment yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's awful and and through your therapy are you able to help people deal with that to sort of bring them back sort of validate them and help them believe that you know it's not in your head you know this is very real Yeah. Yeah. yeah and we do a lot if i sort of draw a lot of things out and we watch a lot of videos to understand um use the gate control theory of pain yeah so that explanation so we look at how the nerves work why we experience pain even if damage has, you know, hasn't been done yes and look at all the factors that make it worse make it better but make it very very clear regardless of this it's it's real what you feel and it's awful to feel what you feel and it's okay for you to be upset by that yeah yeah no, very good. Um, and on your website, um, and we've touched on this a little bit, but you say on your website that the physical and psychological health go hand in hand. Um, can you explain why and how they impact each other? Yeah, so I don't think I need to explain much about the physical to psychological, because I imagine quite a lot of people understand that when you're in pain all the time, it's just exhausting and it brings you down, you know, you feel fed up a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and that sort of difficulty and engaging with friends and family and, and work and things can yeah. obviously make us feel depressed too. And then what we were just talking about, that anxiety around fear of movement, the anxiety about going to see people like healthcare professionals yeah. uh, causes a lot of anxiety. But when you looked at the other way around, so with depression, the main symptoms are lack of energy, lack of motivation, lack of concentration, difficulty sleeping, difficulty eating. To then have to try and manage a chronic pain condition when you feel like that is really, really tough to do. Yes. Maybe you haven't got the motivation to do your physio. Maybe you haven't got the motivation to go to your Pilates class. Um, and because depression so it causes you to withdraw from friends and family. You then don't have that extra support around you. So it can really make it hard to manage. And depression can cause a lot of people to spend a lot of time resting because they don't physically have the energy or the motivation to do things. And then obviously your muscles decondition is yeah. harder to manage, particularly with EDS, you're more likely to have dislocations and subluxations if you're resting too much. Yeah. And if we look at anxiety, anxiety's got sort of a direct link to our gut. So if we're anxious, we're likely to experience gastro issues. Um, We're likely to have a lot of tension from anxiety. So like a jaw or shoulders or back. So the more tension, the more pain. 
yeah the more pain the more anxious so the more tense we get and you get really really caught up in sort of that vicious cycle yeah Yeah. and it is a cycle isn't it it just yeah and it's helping people get break that cycle isn't it yeah however we can get in and help them either through physical like movement therapy or through sort of the work that you do is and ideally both ideally both yeah yeah Um, just helping get off that that sort of merry-go-round that doesn't stop yeah yeah no absolutely and what advice would you give to our listeners who could maybe relate to your journey so they've been through very similar things very similar experience yeah um I guess a lot of it is a summary of sort of the things that I've said but there's no surprise look after your psychological health as well as your physical health you know don't be afraid to ask for therapy or to go to see someone for therapy because it it can help so much um so the smaller the better is a massive piece of advice I can give so whatever task you're about to embark on can you make it smaller can you do it in chunks um so a massive turning point for me was cooking I'd really struggled to cook a meal from sort of start to finish and then an occupational therapist said to me well why don't you peel the carrots at like 11 and stick them in some water do the potatoes at one and then chop the rest of the vegetables at three and then when it's time to cook your dinner what you need to do is the stirring and actually that's made a huge difference that's a good idea yeah so breaking things down pacing them out throughout the whole day um remembering that not everything needs to be done straight away and some things can wait till tomorrow (laughs) that question is it worth it is it worth doing the dishes now or can you call a friend you know um so doing something that's actually going to be really valuable yeah and that idea of communication so don't expect other people to be mind readers and don't expect them to understand you know we find it hard enough to understand our own bodies and our own condition so for somebody who's not living it it is really hard so communicating really calmly really clearly asking for help when you need it asking for that support I think that's just huge yeah yeah Yeah. and perseverance don't don't be afraid to go back to your doctor again and again and again if you need to you know write everything down that you want to say to them don't be bullied out of an appointment or yeah sort of you know if somebody dismisses it it's okay to go back and speak to somebody else yeah absolutely those are great pieces of advice thank you I think that's really really important all of that everything you've said well everything you said in the whole podcast (laughs) has been fascinating Um, yeah really valuable and if people would like to know more about you and and what you do how can they find out about you so the best place is probably my website so it's literally just natalienouisetherapy.co.uk um and on there it's got information about why therapy is useful for chronic pain sort of the different issues that we can cover um it's got what cbt is what acceptance and equipment therapy is it's got a bit more about me so qualifications training um personal experience and then i've started um, a blog so i think the first one was more detail about why therapy is helpful and the one that i'm about to um publish is about <laughs> helpful communication in the sense that how do you manage when somebody says to you you look well when you feel dreadful or when someone says to you my 
friend's auntie's cousin tried this magical herb from I don't know the Andes and it made the pain go away you should get it too like how do you manage that sort of thing and Uh, it's got sort of the other side of it if if you know someone with chronic pain please don't say these things try these things instead so um she'll probably put one on about once a month I think it's coming up but yeah that's got there and then if anybody does want to contact me they can um oh and I've got a Facebook page really new there's like not really anything on it but (laughs) I'm putting like when I've got my new blog posts and things there they're going on it and that's just Natalie Louise therapy yeah oh fantastic yeah well those blogs sound really interesting I like the one on the communication (laughs) brilliant oh well thank you so much as I say I think that's just been really really helpful I think um it's going to really help a lot of people and you know as you say a lot of people don't know a lot about it because we're kind of scared of sort of therapy you know yes yeah you know but there's nothing to be scared of at all and um thank you so much for explaining it all to us and um, thanks for having me yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and um so thank you to all our listeners for joining us today um so you know how to get hold of um, natalie if you'd like more information um leave us some comments uh below if you've got any questions or anything you'd like to ask natalie i can pass that on to her um but thank you again for listening um so until next time keep moving <laughs>